So if, if someone was to ask you, this might sound like a right out of the trite question handbook, but what, what would you say is the number one goal of your life? What, what's, the, what's your number one goal in life? Some people might say to be happy, uh, to be comfortable, to be successful. You know, you fill in the blank there, but more importantly, maybe what would the people closest to you say is really the number one goal in your life? Because they're going to be the ones that are honest, <laughs> I hope. But what is your goal? Our goals in life, they, they shape our decisions. Our goals in life shape our behavior. Because we think whatever our goal is, is ultimately going to lead to a good life or, or even to a great life. We're in this series that we're doing, going just verse by verse, section by section through the, the letter of First John. John the Apostle, who was one of the 12, wrote this letter, as well as a few others. He wrote the Gospel of John. He was an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's an old man when he writes this book. And all the other apostles had, had died and, and were gone. And he was still encouraging the church. And the, his audience that received this letter was undergoing uh, persecution by the Roman Empire. They were persecuted for following this new king, Jesus. And they were also being bombarded with some false teaching that had come in behind the apostles' teaching and were trying to add to the gospel. And so he's having to just encourage them over and over and over. And as if you've read this letter with me, and if you've been here for this series, you realize that reading 1 John is like walking up a spiral staircase, right? You're up a st staircase, I see you, I go around, I go around, boom, I see the same thing over and over again. And John's thing that he keeps repeating is love and truth. Walk in love, walk in the truth. Walk in love, walk in the truth. I think he's trying to get a message to us. The same message that he was trying to get to his audience then is still here for us today. 1 Corinthians 14.1, the apostle Paul says, let love be your highest goal. Let love be your highest goal. So when you think about your goals in life, Paul says, the scripture says that love, becoming a loving person should be the highest goal of my life. So if that should be our highest goal, what does it look like before we get into 1 John? I want to read a passage that you probably are familiar with. If you've ever been to a wedding, I guarantee you've heard it. <laughs> and it's 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love. And verses 4 through 8 give a definition of what love looks like and what love does. I've titled the message today, Love Does. He says, love is patient and kind. How am I doing in that area? <laughs> How am I How's my driving, right? Love is Your driving should be patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever. That's what love does. Love is action. It's, it's patience. It's kind. It's it's not proud. It's, it's understanding that. I mean, you could very well just put Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, etc., because he is the very definition of love. God is love. 
And so for, as I was studying this passage, I, I thought, saw it clearly that love does three things. When you and I walk in love, it does three things. And the first thing I want you to write down is love authenticates my faith. Love authenticates my faith. Jesus in uh, John 13, 35 says, he told his disciples, he said, the world will know who are my disciples when you have love for one another. He didn't say the world will know who are my disciples by how long they pray, how much theology they know, how much Bible they can quote how high they jump during worship or what style of worship they do or how long they stayed in church service or whatever. Simply boiled it down to, you'll know who my disciples are when they have love for one another. And so John writes, he says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. It's pretty heavy. They were being persecuted. They were being hated by the world around him, around them. And he said, keep loving one another. Keep showing these people what Jesus is like. And he has a, uses the story of Cain and Abel. If you're not familiar with the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, right after the fall of Adam and Eve, they have two boys named Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel make a worshipful offering to the Lord. And the Lord is pleased with Abel's offering and he was displeased with Cain's offering. And he let it be known. And, and Cain, out of jealousy of God's favor, be, favor being upon Abel, he kills him. And so he's, he's making this point. His jealousy led him to murder. And jealousy is the opposite of love. It's, it's actually we begin to hate people. And behind the heart of murder is always going to be hate out of control, obviously. The interesting, an interesting historical fact about the time of this writing, emperor, there was a Roman emperor named Hadrian. And Hadrian sent a man named Aristides to go spy out the Christian community. Go find out these people who say they have this new king. Go, go spy out on how do they really live? How do they talk? And so Aristides goes and lives amongst the Christians for a season, and he comes back and he reports to the emperor. He says, yeah, they do talk about this kingdom, but it's not of this earth. And they talk about this kingdom that's to come, and, and they want to walk in peace, and, and they, they have this king that, that's coming again. But I don't think they're a threat. And he said, behold how they love one another. That was what marked him, was, wow, these people who follow this Jesus really love and care for one another. Love authenticates our faith. When we walk in love, it authenticates that I'm really following Jesus, that he really gets to call the shots. And that really is going to hit home most in your key relationships, your closest relationships. Some people say that, that right beliefs, having the truth, that, that's what distinguishes a real believer. And yet Paul says, if you can fathom all mysteries and you have not love, 
doesn't mean a thing, right? Some people say that having mountain-moving faith, miracle-working faith, that's what distinguishes a real Christian. Paul says, if I have the faith to move a mountain, have not love, it means nothing. I'm nothing, right? Some people say spiritual experience, the gifts of the Spirit, or having this experience, that you know, heavy spiritual experience, that's what really marks the Christian life. Paul says, if I have all the gifts, but I have not love, I have nothing. And then we hear, we hear this, and we should practice all these things, right? But some people say, Give, you know, giving to the poor, taking care of the poor. That's what marks a Christian. Paul says you can give everything you have to the poor, but if you have not love, you still have nothing. So it's important that we understand the truth behind love and what that looks like in our life. For each point, I've given an action step. And I think it's the way we can practice the truths that we're saying, love authenticates my faith. Well, what's an action step I can do? I will commit to not view love as a feeling, but as a choice. You can write that down. I will commit to not viewing love as a feeling, but as a choice. The problem is every single one of us in this room, regardless of how old we are, have been programmed to think that love is a feeling. We really have. I mean, it's in every song, right? How many love titles we could do with the word love in it? Or people say, man, I'm falling in love. What does that even mean? It's a feeling to say I'm falling in love. It's a feeling to say I'm falling out of love. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. Understanding this is a game changer. If you have a difficult person in your life right now that you're having a hard time loving, remember it's not about feelings. Your emotions can feel whatever, and you can still love somebody. You can still show love to the person that's, that's driving you nuts because, it's, again, it's, it's, it's not a feeling. It's a choice. You're not commanded. We're not commanded to feel love for anybody. That's not realistic. We're, we're not commanded to like people. <laughs> Thou shalt like. No, you can't control your, your feelings all the time. Feelings is a roller coaster ride. You can feel great about somebody and, and they do something that hurts your feelings or whatever. Did you, do you not love them anymore? Because that's a feeling. I think it's important to rehearse this. If you've been around for a while, we've taught on this a few times, but if you're new to, to the New Testament, in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, they, the Greek, ancient Greek, was a very descriptive language. English is not a descriptive language. We have one word for love. And I can say that I love God, I love my wife, and that I love jello and pudding pops at the same time. And, and I mean completely opposite things, but we don't have descriptive words. Um, the first word, if, if you're taking notes, it's not on your notes, but the first Greek word for, for love is eros. And that's what romantic love is. It's where we get the term erotic from, to be quite honest with you. So you have that, uh, that word, and then you have the word storge, which is like family-type love. Uh, it's affection. And then you have the word phileo, which is... The, the Greek word for brotherly love or companionship. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's where that, that came from, phileo. And then you have uh, the word agape introduced in the New Testament. It wasn't a word that was used a whole lot until the New Testament. And agape is exactly how 
in 1 Corinthians is describing love. Agape love is patient. Agape love is kind. Because the other three kinds of love can be very fickle, right? Uh, Romantic love is fickle. Um, Brotherly love can be fickle. Family love can be fickle. But agape love is never fickle because agape love is God's kind of love. It's unconditional in, in its very nature. It's love that's given without needing something in return. And that's what real love is. That's why it's not a feeling. It is an action. If you take agape out of eros love, you get lust. If you take agape love out of storge love, you can get infatuation. If you take agape love out of phileo love, you can get manipulation. They're fickle in their nature. Can I give you, for everybody in this room, whether you're married or not or want to be married one day, I'm going to give you some, uh, some love advice. Or right, I'm going to be the love doctor for a little bit. Cue the Barry White music. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I didn't know how that was going to fly or not, but you, you, you were tracking with me. Um, don't fall in love with falling in love. When you fall in love with falling in love, you'll think, you'll get hooked to that drug of love, that, that feeling, and love is not a feeling. If you're going to, it, marriage is not about finding the right person. Marriage is about becoming the right person becoming who Jesus intends you to be. So if you today are questioning your marriage or relationships or whatever, listen, love is not a feeling. It is a choice. It's a choice, okay? You can't make a promise to feel. Second thing, and this is a no-brainer, but love cares for others. What does love do? It authenticates my faith and love cares for others. John continues, he says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the love, let us show the truth by our actions. Let us show the truth by our actions. We live in such a fast-paced, busy world. Um, Maybe some of you don't have to live this if you're a little bit older or retired, but I even see retired people live busy lifestyles, but it's go to work, hustle to work, uh, hustle to the second job maybe, get the kids here, do this, do that, and busy, 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 go, go, go. And I think that our culture is so wound that way that it's... if lands on us as followers of Jesus, and we begin to get too busy. We get too busy for one another. We get too busy to spend time together. We get too busy to help meet each other's needs. And I was was just thinking, like, for us, who's being overlooked because of our busyness? Who's not getting needs met because we're just so busy? And I get it. It starts with your own family. But this is also a family, too, that should not be overlooked or taken lightly. This is what he's talking about, brothers and sisters in Christ loving and caring for one another, meeting one another's needs. And I'm so grateful that I belong to a church family where people do genuinely love one another and care for one another. But we can always improve. 
we can always get better in how we meet each other's needs. So here's what I wrote down for an action step here is I will commit to looking for opportunities to make life better for others. That's really what I think he's saying here is commit to, to wake up in the morning and say, God, who can I make life better for today? Starting it in my, in my own home, who can I make life better for? Can you imagine in marriage, if two people, you woke up in the morning and each spouse just said, how can I make life better for my spouse today? That'd be a good marriage if both do it. It's when one feels the other isn't doing the same thing as when you get friction and frustration. But if two people are following Jesus Christ, he gets to call the shots. And we should be honoring him in our marriages. We should be honoring him in how we treat our parents we should be honoring him and how we parent our children and how we love and care for one another and ask ourselves the question, how can I be helpful to somebody today? How can I meet somebody's needs? Look for those opportunities. And the third thing that John is talking through here that love does is love assures my heart. Love authenticates my faith, it cares for others, and it assures my heart. I think sometimes people have a, uh, I don't know, fearful thought that, do I really know Jesus? Or am I, am I really a believer? Am I really a follower of his? Am I really born again? Am I really saved? Whatever you want to put there. Well, John is, gives us this amazing remedy to the lack of assurance that if we walk in love, we can know that we're truly his. Jesus even said that in John uh, seven, I think it's John 7. He says that somebody wants to know whether I'm real or not, then just practice what I teach. Put my teachings into practice and you'll know that I'm the Messiah. You'll know that I'm from the Father. So here's what he says. He says, our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded, commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. So assurance in our hearts. It's always going to fall back to being, obviously, the love that he has for us in dying on the cross and, and rising from the grave. That's the point of assurance. The point of assurance that I'm really trusting him is, am I loving? Am I being loving to the people around me and so the action step I want you to write down for this is I will strive, I will strive to, to love like Jesus, to learning how to love like Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example. And you may think to yourself, well, there's only one Jesus, right? And I, I can't be him. Of course not. All of us are super imperfect in our love. But what he wants for you and I is to learn to become like him in the way that we love. It's so important that we learn and that daily we are striving to die to ourselves, die to my selfishness, and 
take up my cross and, and follow him. So that's what discipleship to Jesus really is. When we say we're his disciples, it's he's the teacher. He is the, the leader. We're the followers, right? He is teaching us how to live life. The best life that we can ever have is a life that's lived under following Jesus and putting into practice what he had to say for us, letting him call the shots in our relationships, letting him call the shots in, in, in how we work and how we behave. That's discipleship. He's our savior first and foremost, but he's our teacher, our example, and our Lord as we, as we follow him. So if you want to live like Jesus, we have to love like Jesus. Hmm. <laughs> how do I do that? Well, I was reading this, this article and it was by a lady named Ann Voskamp, giving her credit for this. And she was talking about how, um, what does it mean to love like Jesus and to, to be like him and, and how I love people? Because that's a tall task, right? To love like Jesus, who gave his life, very life for us. That's a tall task to say, love like Jesus. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what does that look like? Well, she said a couple things. She said, become more mindful and less detached. That was the first thing. And I thought on that, that is that mindset, mindful, where you're, you're, um, you're more aware of what's going on around you. You actually have that intuition, a spiritual intuition, and an EQ, an emotional intelligence that causes you to be mindful of what's going on in the people around you. Not just get mad at that person who cut you off in traffic and think that's the world's worst person. You... Blankety blank, blank, blank. That person might be having a bad day. Who knows what's going on in there? We just don't know. So we need to be more mindful of the coworkers, maybe, that, that rub us wrong. Maybe their home life stinks. And so be more mindful. Another way to be loving like Jesus is become more approachable and less exclusive. How approachable are we? Um, think about the people broken people that felt safe in the presence of Jesus, right? They felt welcome around him. That's awesome. Do broken people feel welcomed around us? I pray that our church is built on that same Christ-like ministry where broken people feel welcomed, not judged and, and criticized, and that we can point them to Jesus, right? We don't expect people to be clean before they come to Jesus. That's the worst mindset we can have because we need him. We come to him broken in our brokenness and then let him begin to heal us, change us. Become more graceful and less judgmental. That takes work. It's easy to be judgmental. It's hard to give grace to somebody, especially if you were on the other end of their wrongdoing do you give grace there? We want grace when it's for us, but when somebody's wronged us, mm, how dare you? And yet, learning to be like Jesus is being more, more graceful, less judgmental. I think of the story of the woman caught in adultery. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they bring this woman who had been caught in adultery. And in the law of Moses, it says that they were supposed to stone somebody that commits adultery at the city gate. So they bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus and want to know his opinion of the law. And they say, Jesus, the law of Moses says that, 
that this woman who's been caught in adultery, uh, I don't know why the man wasn't there, right? But that's a different part of this story. But say, been caught in adultery, should be stoned. And um, what do you say? And he goes, okay. um, But the first of you that's without sin, you you cast the first stone. Remember the story he had leaned down and was writing something in the, in the dirt. And one by one, each of those guys left because they knew they couldn't throw the stone because they had sin. What a powerful, powerful demonstration of grace. Jesus stands up and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, they all left. And he says, I don't judge you either. Go and sin no more. Powerful. So much to that. That's Jesus. That's loving like Jesus. I know you might be thinking to yourself, well, does that mean I just overlook somebody's sin? Do I never confront that? Of course not. Jesus is always confronting things, which is one of my points. Be more bold and less fearful. There's an element to love that is bold. There's an element to love that is willing to speak into somebody's life, to speak up for somebody who doesn't have a voice, to speak truth to somebody, to be bold that's love. Love is bold. And, and our fears cause us to not be bold in how loving we are. So we just think somebody else will do it or somebody else will, will love that person or I'll pray for them. Instead, sometimes we need to be the answer to our prayers. If we're praying for somebody that will actually be the one that initiates the love and the ministry to them. And then to be like Jesus, she said, was to become more self-giving and less self-absorbed. That's so true. More self-giving and less self-absorbed. As I was working through this yesterday, I had an epiphany that was amazing. An illumination of the spirit, whatever you want to call it. I went, whoa, this is so simple. And yet we make it so complex. When you talk about loving like Jesus, that's such a tall task. How do I learn how to love like Jesus? Well, This is the thought that hit me. To learn to love like Jesus, I need to know how much I'm loved by Jesus. To love like Jesus is to know how much I'm loved by him and how he actually loves me. Focus on that for a second. To love like Jesus is to know how much I'm loved by Jesus and how he actually loves me. That means he loves me unconditionally. He loves me on my bad days. He forgives me, always forgiving. How does Jesus love us? He was so self-sacrificial. He came as a servant. The king of the universe washed his disciples' feet. To love like Jesus is to know how much I'm loved by Jesus and how he loves me. It's a direct reflection. My ability to love is a direct reflection in how much I understand that and how much I live in that. Mike's going to sing a song um, we picked that we thought would be a song where don't be in a hurry to to leave right now because we got plenty of time. (laughs) God wants to do something in our hearts this morning. And We picked a song that is from the perspective of Jesus singing to you. And just take the next couple minutes as he sings this song and meditate on his love for you.
Because some of you are in some difficult situations where you have hard people, people in your life that it's hard to love. And until you know how much you're loved, you're not going to love, love them well. But I know you want to love well, and I really believe this is the answer, is to focus on how much he loves us. Just let that soak into our hearts that we got love to give to others.
give you a word of encouragement before we pray. The Holy Spirit is convicting some hearts in this room right now. I sense it. And you sense it too. Don't don't not act on what he's asking you to do. If it's forgiveness to give somebody, if it's to start speaking to somebody better, if it's your words, if it's slacking off on your responsibilities, whatever it is there could be numerous things that he's convicting you of make a commitment in your heart right now that you're going to follow him and invite Jesus into the most difficult relationships you have right now, invite him to be the Lord as far as it depends upon you we're to live at peace with one another you, you can't do everything for everybody but you can control you I sense that conviction, and conviction's a good thing. The devil comes to condemn and try to tell us that we're we're worthless and remind us of our guilt and all that kind of stuff. The Spirit comes in conviction and says, hey, stop living like that. You're a child of the living God. You're a follower of Jesus. That's a good thing. I need it all the time. So, Lord, as we... As we go from this place today, I pray, Lord, where we've been convicted in a lack of love, that you would remind us how much you love us, and that you've loved us in the middle of a lot of stuff, Lord. Help us to live and understand how much you love us and how you love us, and for us to love in that same, that same way, Lord. Produce, produce good in the difficult situations. Give us faithfulness, faithful, faithful, faithful hearts. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We want to follow wholeheartedly after you. recommit ourselves let us not be deceived in any way but Lord keep our hearts and minds steadfast on your great love for us and from there let you lead lead the way Lord heal broken relationships heal strained relationships and let us continue to be salt and light with your love as our banner. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go um, today, if you want someone to pray with you, we have our prayer team up here. And if you were a guest with us, you have a connection card, a prayer request, you can drop it by the info table. Um, I pray you have an amazing rest of your week. All right, bless you.